if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 20 uh, in your Bibles this morning. Well, for a lot of people, Christmas is uh, kind of a downhill swing from Christmas for, uh, for a lot of people. Uh, the gifts have been unwrapped. The boxes are out in the garbage. Anyone started taking down decorations yet? I'm surprised. Boy, I tell you, 24 hours later, sometimes around our place, decorations have started coming down. But we still have family coming. Uh, in fact, uh, our Christmas starts in earnest this evening as far as family get together. As, uh, as they begin to come in town this evening, by Wednesday night, we'll have four dogs and 20-some people in our townhouse having a chaotic family blast. And so uh, ours, uh, our Christmas is just getting cranked up, but for a lot of people, it's on the downward spiral. It won't be long. The Christmas trees will be out in the front lawn waiting for the garbage people to pick them up, or they'll be packed away in a box stuck in the, uh, in the attic or the garage waiting for next year. At the end of Christmas, and looking back over Christmas, what did we learn this year from our Christmas experience? Did our focus on Jesus Christ's birth bring us any new insights? Bring us any... Uh, treasures of truth that we found ourselves meditating on or thinking on that flow out of the Christmas story? What, what have we learned about God and about our relationship with Him? Over the years of preaching in December, I have sought to magnify the actual 2,000-year-old story of Christmas because I'm convinced that there are a, a huge treasure trove of truths in the original Christmas story with the original cast of characters. For those who take the time and energy to go back to what Christmas was 2,000 years ago and examine every person in the cast of characters and ask the question, what did that Christmas mean to that shepherd? 
What did that Christmas mean to that wise man? What did that Christmas mean to that angel? And I found that over the years, when I take the time to look at the original story through the lens, through the eyes of a particular character who lived that story, that there are some amazing truths and principles. This year, my preaching schedule landed on Jesus Christ as the character that cycled up to be considered as to what Christmas meant to Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. What can I learn about God and about my relationship to Him by stopping and, and just asking the question, what did it mean to Jesus to be born on Christmas Day? And you know what I've learned when I think and meditate on the person of Jesus Christ and what Christmas meant to him personally, individually? I've learned that the way up is down. The way up is down. And Jesus Christ had to come way down in order for him to enjoy, enjoy the exaltation that he will have for all of eternity. What I learn about Christmas from Jesus Christ is the importance of humility in life. How does God catch our attention so that we can learn that the way up is down? And I find that God catches our attention much the same way a fisherman makes sure that the fish he caught stays on the hook. And any fisherman knows that if his hook doesn't have barbs on it, he may catch a fish, but he won't catch it long. But those barbs grab the fish and hold that fish there on the hook. And this morning, I want us to look in the Word of God and see three barbs on the Christmas hook that capture and hold our attention to a truth that sometimes is overlooked or ignored in the Christian life. And it's a dynamic and a powerful truth. And so, three, three barbs, if you please, from the Christmas story. And the first barb that captures my attention comes from Philippians chapter 2. And I call it a lowly picture from Christmas. A lowly picture from Christmas because it, it revolves around the word that you find in verse number 8, the phrase really, he humbled himself. Humility is a powerful, powerful lesson in the Christmas story because the Christmas story is a lowly picture. The lowly picture of, of Jesus' birth pictures a king who had to humble himself to become a man. A, a, a God becoming a man, a, a king becoming a servant. A, a, the, the picture of humility is nowhere as stark as in the Christmas story, as Jesus Christ on Christmas Day became human in an act of great humility. And so one of the greatest Christmas lessons that I learned and the one I want to focus on this morning is the dynamic lesson about humility 
that flows out of the Christmas story. Here in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus Christ is mentioned in the last two words of verse number 5. Followed by verse 6, the word who. And so God is going to describe something about Jesus Christ. And what he describes is Christmas Day. What he describes is the, is the birth of Jesus Christ on earth. He says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This is a, this is a, um, a powerful passage of scripture regarding the person of Jesus Christ. It is perhaps one of the most difficult passages in all the Bible to understand in our King James Version because of a couple of the terms that have uh, been used differently today than what they were used when our Bible was translated. The Bible speaks of Jesus who being in the form of God. Now that's pretty simple when you just take into consideration that the word form speaks of a shape, uh, an outward manifestation what, what a person would portray visually. And the Bible says that Jesus was in the form of God. That is, he, he had a, the outward manifestation of his deity that had existed for all of eternity. Now, what would that form be? We know that, that God is not human eternally that has a body that has shape or form. However, we can go throughout the Bible and we can see whenever God showed up, there was a visible manifestation. We can read about it in Isaiah chapter 6 when God allowed Isaiah to see God seated upon his throne and he described the manifestation of God. We know that when Jesus Christ went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he transfigured himself into that form of his deity that he had had throughout all of eternity. And he transfigured himself back into that form, that manifestation of God. When we go through the Bible, we find that the manifestation of God, we think of light, dazzling light. Uh, we think of majesty. We think of glory that blows you away. Well, we think of the manifestation of deity as being something that you can't stand before. You fall to your face. You shelter your eyes. Jesus Christ for eternity past had manifested a visible manifestation of his deity that he shared with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. But our text tells us that Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought. And, and that word thought is an intense word. It's a deep word. It, it, it's not a random thought that just passes into and out of your mind. But it's a process of examination. It's a process of consideration. One definition of this word translated thought is that it is a judgment made based on evaluation. And so Jesus Christ, who for all of eternity had manifested the brilliance, the glory, the dazzling brilliance of his deity, began to think. 
He deliberated. He gave consideration. And what he was considering was whether this outward manifestation of deity was something that he would hold on to and never give up for any reason. The word robbery there, the old word was used of something that you would take. That's how we use the word almost exclusively today. When we think of someone who robs, there's someone who takes something, didn't belong to them, but they take it, they take it to themselves, for themselves. But that word also used to be used to speak of something that you would hold on to, not that you would take from somebody else, but something you would hold on to and not be willing to give it up. This is so important to me. I'm not going to give it up for any reason. I will not give up this because of how important it is to me. And the Bible says Jesus, who for all eternity had manifested the dazzling brilliance and glory and majesty of his deity, did not think, after considering all the things that were involved, he made a decision that he was not going to hold on to that He was not going to hold on to being equal with God the Father and God the Spirit in the manifestation of that form. He was going to be willing to relinquish what he had enjoyed for all of eternity. He was willing to be made of no reputation. Now Jesus Christ equal with God the Father and God the Spirit in manifesting the dazzling brilliance of his deity had because of that an amazing reputation. You know people that have a great reputation and uh, if they walk into a room, if they come into a crowd of people because of their reputation, almost immediately people know they're there. That the, the, our world is full of that today in the sports world and in, in the entertainment world, in the places that our culture puts value. Used to be that preachers held that kind of value when they would come into a place. That's not true. Used to be when a teacher came into a place, they had a reputation. They'd given their lives to the training of the next generation. And and, and there was a value. There was a reputation. And when they came in the room, people knew they were there. That's no longer true in our culture. But what is true, let an NFL star walk in the room. Let a movie star walk in the room. The place where culture puts value, those stars of that arena have reputation. And when they enter someplace, everything stops. And did you see? Did you know who's here? Did, did you know? Because they have reputation. And their reputation draws immediate attention. So here's Jesus Christ. When he's in the room, you can't even. It's like who turned, who brought the sons into the room? When Jesus Christ was there, Everyone turned, the angel stopped and said, Jesus is here. He had a reputation and, and, and he had a dazzling, brilliant manifestation of his deity. But Jesus Christ 
began to think about his fallen creation. He began to think about souls lost in sin. He began to think about people who would spend in hell, spend in hell for eternity. And he began to think and he thought. And he made a decision. I will give up my reputation. I will empty myself of my dazzling brilliance. I will become one such when I walk in the room, nobody even knows I came in. I will have no reputation. I will empty myself of that which draws all the attention to me and I will become a human being. And not only will I become a human being, I'll become a slave, a servant in humanity. Not only will I just become a servant in humanity, I will be obedient to death. You realize he's the only one born of woman that doesn't have to be obedient to death. You don't have any choice. You're going to die. None of us are getting out of this thing alive. I mean, it's a point in the man wants to die. We can't get out of that. Except for if Jesus comes back before we die. That'll be a great thing. Jesus didn't have to be obedient to death. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Jesus didn't have to be obedient to death. Yet he became obedient to death. But not just any death, not just a heart attack, my dad alive, and, 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 and then all of a sudden, within a couple of minutes, he was gone, had a heart, massive heart attack and died within just, a, I mean, quickly. Not just any old death. Jesus Christ emptied himself of everything that drew attention to himself, became obedient to death, but the death of a criminal. The death of, a, of, of one who was being executed as a representative, as a picture to everyone else in culture, in the Roman If you disobey Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. The most excruciating death that usually took three days of suffering, hanging on a cross before the person being crucified finally died. Excruciating. Jesus Christ, on Christmas Day, became human, a servant, obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. This is the, this is the lowly picture of Christmas. He was willing to lay aside everything that caused a sense of awe about him. And he was born on Christmas Day. That's why I say one of the great lessons of Christmas is the lesson on humility. Because when I stop and ask myself the question, what did it mean to Jesus to have Christmas Day? What it meant to Jesus is he had to humble himself, become human, a servant, obedient to death, 
even the death of the cross. He did that willingly. He thought about it. He weighed your soul against his manifest form of deity. And he thought about, if I save this person, what will it cost me? If I save this person, what will I have to give up? And after he thought through, after he thought, he made the decision that he will humble himself. Christmas is the great, great story of what it means to be humble. To become humble. To be willing to be humble. Because... I've thought about the needs of people around me. And having thought about the needs of people around me, I made a decision that I was going to give up what is rightfully mine. Do you understand that Christmas, Christmas Day, when Jesus became man, Jesus Christ did not deny his deity. He did not deny his ability. He did not deny his power. He did not deny who he was. He simply made a decision to make all of that invisible to the world where he would come. And humility is being so focused on the needs of people around me. It's not that I deny what my ability is. It doesn't that I deny my position in life. It doesn't mean that I deny what God made me. That means I'm willing to make invisible who I am in order to be able to meet the needs of someone around me. The grandest picture of humility ever told. I, I suggested maybe you want to put something in Matthew 20. We're going to end in just a few moments back in Philippians. But let's jump over to Matthew number 20. I, I want you to see a second barb that catches our attention to this teaching, this, this, uh, what Christmas meant to Jesus. And, and we'll call this a powerful teaching moment that was pointing to Christmas. It, it involves a couple of guys. They're known as the sons of Zebedee. Uh, these two sons of De Zebedee were James and John. Sons of Zebedee, that was their dad. And they were amongst the 12 apostles that Jesus selected out from the disciples that were following him. You can read about it in Mark chapter 3. Jesus selected 12 men. He designated them as the apostles. James and John were two of those guys. And when Jesus chose them, he gave them a nickname. He called them Sons of Thunder. <laughs> now, 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 before seeing them in the way they, they acted, Jesus gave them this nickname. As far as the scripture, this is the first time that he met them. We, you know, maybe he met them, the Bible didn't tell us about it. But he, he meets them, he calls them, he calls them the sons of thunder. They end up becoming two of the three of the inner circle that spent a lot of time with Jesus, more so than, than any of the other apostles. They were James and John along with Peter, often called Peter, James, and John. The inner circle of three. 
Now, the nickname fits him well, Sons of Thunder. We learned that late in Jesus' ministry when Jesus left the Sea of Galilee area and said, we're going to Jerusalem where I'm going to be crucified. They began to travel south and they traveled through Samaria. Jesus had all of his followers spread out and go to different villages. And on the direction he was going to go, people would go ahead of him, find a place for him to stay at night in the city, let the people know he's going to be teaching and preaching in their city. And so he said, uh, James and John went into a city of Samaria uh, to be able to uh, make preparation for Jesus to arrive. And, um, and the Samaritans didn't get along with the Jews. And the reason they didn't get along with the Jews is because of racial prejudice. That's what we would call it today, racial prejudice. The Jews were, were a mixed breed, so to speak, of Jews and Gentiles. And so the Jewish people looked down upon the Samaritans because they had married Gentiles. And so they called them dogs. And the Samaritans didn't like being called dogs, so they didn't like the Jews. So they set up their own place to worship God rather than going back down to Jerusalem. And uh, they worshiped on Mount Gerizim. You might remember the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well there in Samaria, at Sychar's well. And so uh, James and, and, and John go into this village of Samaritans, let them know Jesus is going to be stopping off here, spend the night, going to be teaching, preaching on his way to Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans got their back up and they said, you know, we don't care anything about Jesus Christ. We don't care if he stays here or not. We don't, we're, not we're not interested in listening to his messages because we don't worship in Jerusalem. Well, James and John got their backs up. James and John, the sons of thunder, said to Jesus, you want us to call down fire from, hell, uh, from heaven and, and burn them up? I mean, they were, they were quick to judge and quick to, to call down fire of judgment. And, and they, they, they lived up to their names, sons of thunder. James is going to end up being the first of the apostles to be martyred in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And John is going to be the last of the apostles to die. He'll end up on the Isle of Patmos writing Revelation. He'll die of old age. He became known as the apostle of love, which is significant because he was a son of thunder, prejudiced, ill-tempered, quick to fly off the handle and, fire down and, and, and call down the fire of God in judgment. He was a son of thunder. But by the time he died, he was known as the apostle of love. Something transformed John from a son of thunder to an apostle of love. Here in Matthew chapter 20, there's an episode that was at the end of Jesus' ministry, nearing the end of his ministry, when when James and John's mom brought them to Jesus. And so Matthew 20 and verse number 20 says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand, thy right hand, and the other on, thy, on the left, in thy kingdom. I mean, she was a proud mama. She wants her kids to get the best. She's got two of the top three apostles. 
They're the inner core. They're one of the top, two of the top three. Her two sons, James and John, along with Peter, are the cream of the crop, the top leaders amongst the apostles of Jesus Christ. She's a proud mama, and she wants her kids to be recognized for their ability, for their accomplishments, for their role in life. She wants the world to know of the ability and accomplishments of her two sons. And so they go to Jesus and said, Jesus, here's what we want you to do. I'd like for you to make them the two guys that sit on your right hand and left hand in your kingdom. Well, verse number 24 says, when the ten, the other apostles, heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. They were ticked off. How about us? We've been here the same length of time as you've been here. We've been serving God as hard as you've been serving God. What do you mean you want to be recognized on the right hand and the left hand in the kingdom of God? And, and, and it caused personality conflicts, people problems, indignation, fusses and fights. Because, because mama wants her boys to be recognized for their ability and accomplishments. I don't care about anybody else's boys. I don't care about anybody else's kids. I want my kids to get the reputation that they deserve because of their accomplishments and position. And that caused people conflicts, caused people to be upset with one another. And so Jesus Christ took this teachable moment, this teachable moment, and he pointed back to Christmas Day in this teachable moment. Jesus said in verse number 25 that in this Gentile world you live in, Jesus called them unto him and he said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and they that are great exercise authority upon them. This is the way, this is the dog-eat-dog world you live in. This is the way it is in, in a world of fallen humanity. The people who great want everyone to know they're great. The people who have great accomplishments want to be acknowledged for those accomplishments and they want everyone to know who they are and why they're so important and what they've done. And they want to be able to control other people because of who they are. This is the way it works in the dog-eat-dog world of a fallen humanity. But Jesus Christ said that's not the way it's going to work in my kingdom. He said, in my kingdom, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, I'm sorry, whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. The way up is down. You want to be great? Go clean the washrooms. You want to be important? Go ask if you can park that person's car for them so they don't have to walk as far. You, you want to be known for your position? Then find someone you can serve and serve them well. The way up is down. And then notice what Jesus said. 
verse number 28, even as. And Jesus uses an illustration out of his own life. Even as the Son of Man came. When did the Son of Man come? He came on Easter's Easter day. Uh, Easter day. Uh, Christmas day. He came on Christmas day. That's when the Son of Man came into humanity. That's when he came to earth. He came on Christmas day. And Jesus Christ has just told these people that the way up is down just like the Son of Man on Christmas. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He pointed to Christmas Day as the illustration of the greatest act of humility, the greatest picture of humility. And when Jesus had a teaching moment with the sons of thunder and their mom to teach them the important lesson that the way up is down, the way to greatness is servanthood, he pointed to Christmas Day and he said, just like when I became human, I did not become human for humans to serve me. I became human to, to serve humans. I came to give my life a ransom for many, the payment price for the sins of many. I came not to be honored. I came to honor. I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to a world of failed humanity. And so he used Christmas Day as an illustration of his own humility so that these apostles at this teaching moment with the sons of thunder will learn that you want to be great, volunteer to sit in the seat as far away from Jesus as the seats go. You want to be recognized then volunteer for the lowest place because the way up is down. And if you want to be honored, find someone you can honor and serve. Hmm. I wonder if this teachable moment had a part in turning the sons of thunder into apostles of love. The transformation of their lives into not being proud, but being humble servants of the God of love. Now turn back over and let's end the message with this third barb back over in Philippians. The third barb that gets and holds my attention to this lesson on humility in the Christmas story. I call it a sober lesson taught to me by Christmas. We looked at verses 6 down through verse number 8. We really didn't touch on verse 9, 10, and 11. That's the exaltation because Jesus humbled himself. God highly exalted him, gave him a name which is above every name. But what I want you to end the message with is a sober lesson that Christmas teaches us. You see, verse number 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then use the illustration of Christmas, of Jesus' humility on Christmas Day, 
used Jesus' humility on Christmas Day as an object lesson or as an illustration to teach me how to live my life, to teach the church at Philippi, the members of the church at Philippi, how to live their lives. You know, when it comes to this thing of humility, I, I put in your, on your little worksheet, you saw, see the reference to Romans 12, 3. This verse in Romans 12, verse 3, probably more than any other verse in the Bible, has taught me and been a source of meditation on the, on the essence of what real humility is. Because real humility isn't to deny who I am. Jesus didn't deny his deity. He did not deny his authority. He did not deny his power. He did not deny his accomplishments. He merely put them out of sight by humbling himself to serve. Real humility is not to be nobody. Some have likened humility to the Charlie Brown complex. I don't have any ability. I can't do anything. I can't accomplish anything. That's not humility. That's really an accusation that God made junk. God made me who I am, and if I'm nothing, and I have no ability, and I'm a nobody, then that's what God made. That's an accusation against God and his creative power in your life. What is real humility? Romans 12, 3 says it this way, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. God made you who you are, your abilities, your personality, uh, the things that you can accomplish in life. God uniquely made you so that you could serve him. Real genuine humility is not to think of myself more highly than I ought to think, as in, look what I made of myself. Look at who I am. But to think soberly. To think with some good common sense and reason. To think with some real serious consideration of reality. That God has dealt to you a measure of faith. God made you who you are. Your abilities. Your personality. The things that you can accomplish. God made you who you are. And what you do great in life is not because of you. It's because of the God who made you. And real humility is not to deny God's work in my life. Real humility is to deny that it's because of who I am. Because of what I've done. No, it's because of what God has done in granting to me a measure of faith that I might serve Him. And so this thing of genuine, real humility is not a denial of anything other than a denial that I am who I am because of me. I am who I am because of God. And if there's anything good that ever comes out of my life, it won't be because of Mike Elstock. Because I blow everything. If anything good ever comes out of my life, it'll be because of God's miraculous, amazing use of a flawed and broken vessel. Real humility is to not exalt myself, but to exalt the God who made me and be humble enough to acknowledge that it's God and be grateful to God for his amazing 
work in my life. And so in, in this passage of scripture in Philippians 2 that says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, God is saying to me, think like Jesus thinks. Look at what Jesus thought. Look what he decided. Look what he did. Look how he humbled himself. How he hid his greatness in order to become a servant to his fallen creature. You think that way about yourself. You have this same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus that enabled him to purposefully and decidedly hide his own outward display of deity and become a man and become a servant and surrender to death, even the death of the cross. Let this right thinking of Jesus enable you to think right about yourself. What does that look like? How, how does, how does it, what does it look like when a church learns the lesson of what Christmas meant to Jesus and then incorporates that into their own experience so that they have the mind of Jesus Christ thinking about themselves the way Jesus thought about himself being willing to hide anything great in order to serve people in need, what does that look like in a church family that is able to learn the lesson of Christmas? Well, he tells us in verse number 2, fulfill ye my joy. That comes at the, verse number 1 has, has been a, a, a set of, 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 of clauses, if there be, if there be, if there be. They're, they're fulfilled conditional clauses. In other words, they're not suggesting that it might not be true. We would, we would use the word since in our use of English today to express a fulfilled condition. Since this has happened, then so-and-so. Since this has happened, then so-and-so. So he has said, since there is consolation in Christ, since there's comfort in love, since there is a fellowship of the Spirit in our midst, since... There are bowels and mercies. That is a, a, a heart of mercy. Since these things are true and real and available to us through Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, then live that out and fulfill my joy. Paul, the church planter, writing to the church family that he had planted 10 years previous, he said, make me the happiest missionary on the face of the earth. Fulfill my joy. How do you fulfill my joy? He says that ye be like-minded, that ye have the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He said, as a church family, be united around the same mindset. Love the same things. Be of one accord, which was used of taking two iron links and linking them together to make a chain. Of one accord, linked together. Be a membership linked together, loving the same thing, thinking the same way. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't allow anything to ever happen in your church family that's generated by strife and vainglory. Vainglory is the disease, strife is the symptom that shows you there is a disease. The disease is vain glory. What is vain glory? It's the glory in that which doesn't accomplish anything. It is pride. It's human pride to be, have glory in something that is vain. And when pride becomes real in the heart of a person, 
there ends up being strife between them and other people. Strife is the symptom. Vainglory is the disease that creates the symptom. If we think like Christ, then we won't ever have anything of strife and vainglory in the church family. But in lowliness of mind, humility comes from the word humus or earth or dirt, low, dirt. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I think one of the most profound lessons that could ever be learned at Christmas time is the lesson that the way up is down. If you want to be great, find someone to serve. If you want to be important, become a servant to people. Because in serving people, you become important in the lives of people. And that's the essence of greatness. To be important in the lives of needy people. And Jesus demonstrated that on Christmas Day. When he left heaven's glory. After thinking about what could be accomplished if he would humble himself. And sure enough, all over the world today, there are people whose lives have been transformed from sons of thunder to apostles of love because they learned the lesson of Christmas that the way up is down. God help us all to conquer our human pride. It's, it's so common because it's the essence of our fallenness. God help us. To see what God sees and, and to overcome the human tendency of sin to exalt ourselves and help us to find somebody in need and give our lives to meeting the need of somebody so that we can become great by becoming like Jesus Christ on Christmas Day.